there live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. Hope you're having a great afternoon. It's 4.03. CBS News is reporting that President Biden has approved a series of military strikes in Iraq and Syria as retaliation for the deadly attack on the U.S. base in Jordan over the weekend. Three members of the U.S. Army were killed. More than 40 were injured. These are sources in the Biden administration talking with CBS News. These targets will include Iranian personnel and facilities in both Iraq and Syria. They call it a multi-day attack on these targets. Again, to me, um, why are we... Was it four days, five days later that we haven't done anything? And to me, this is along the same lines of, well, let's just go ahead and give them a heads up so that, you know, we don't strike anything important to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very similar to the heads up to the Houthis who were able to get their key materials out of the way of the strikes. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told reporters today the United States does not want a wider war in the Middle East. He said, we are not at war with Iran. They emphasize that in all of these statements. Yeah, um, there's also a report where CBS is saying that they spoke to some Iranian officials. And um, I don't don't think that feeling's mutual. (laughs) Iranian officials, at least in the government, are like, yeah, we're at war. and we we are going to call Biden's bluff on this. You do something. We're coming at you, all forces that we have. And then you compare that to the Iranian people, and they're they're like, oh, they don't want this. Mm-hmm. A lot of big talk out of the Iranian government right now, the mullahs. Yeah, but um, I, I I don't put it past them to respond. No, I don't either. They're just uh, you don't ever hear them saying. We don't want a wider war in the Middle East. Yeah. We don't, we're afraid of angering the United States. Yeah, no, they don't care. They're all in at all times. 512-836-0590. You can weigh in with your thoughts. Also in the news today, you may have seen the video or the pictures of those illegal aliens who attacked the two New York City police officers after they were released from jail with no bond. The judge allowed them to go without putting up any money. And as they left the courthouse, they were flipping off the news cameras. More than one. Smiling, smirking, very arrogantly flipping off the news cameras as they strutted out with a cocky look on their face after having been charged with beating police officers and then being set free from jail. Uh, the audacity. I mean, obviously, they don't care. They didn't care that they were going after anyone, let alone a police officer there in New York, only to be handed out back on the streets. They don't care about our laws. And it is, I, I just do not understand how someone here illegally then beating up on someone that a judge goes, oh, yeah, please. Go back to our streets. We'll get back to you. Hopefully you, you know, does this date work for you to come back? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Part of the consideration for a judge in a case is, is this person a flight risk? The answer on these is yes. Yes. 
Would this person be a danger to others while they're free on bond? Yes. So the conclusion should be hold them without release until trial. That would be what I would conclude. And I know that on one of these individuals, the judge, it was said, said they took the criminal history into account and one of the individuals didn't have any. I don't know how you can say that. They're here illegally. There's that. That's one case right here. There's a history. Don't, don't follow our laws. Two, they're being accused of beating up on police officers. There's number two. There's your history. Mm-hmm. And one other point, we can't get access to any kind of a database in Venezuela. They don't cooperate. They probably don't even have a real database in the sense that we do. Right. So finding out what was going on in their home country with these individuals, not there. And it it wasn't done when they entered into the U.S. either. You can weigh in with your thoughts. 512-836-0590. That one photo of these guys arrogantly smirking and flipping off the cameras really encapsulates the entire mess we have right now. Just that one photo speaks volumes about the mess we're in. It it really makes it difficult to say these people are only here because they're trying to better their lives. And that's why we need to allow entry in, even if they're doing it the illegal way. New York Governor Kathy Hochul was asked about this. Remember, New York is a sanctuary state. And uh, she said, well, maybe we should consider deporting someone who commits a violent crime but it was really not a non-committal very, yeah very aggressive full-throated i want a bill on my desk by this time tomorrow to end sanctuary status yeah we should we should check into it yeah that's what we should do uh and, and it is that my goodness that it's that kind of leadership if you want to call it that uh policies that have New York and other places facing the, the problems that they have right now. And that is, you're soft on crime, you, you called yourself sanctuary, and now you're complaining because they want to seek sanctuary there. But while they're seeking sanctuary, oh no, they're not all up to good. Mm-hmm. They're beating up our police officers. Seven have been arrested in this case. New York police are looking for two others in connection with that attack captured on video against the two police officers. Let's go to uh, Teresa in Pflugerville at 410 with Mark and Melinda. Teresa, good afternoon. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Teresa. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, I'm thinking maybe there was a cartel. Maybe somebody's backing them up. Maybe they threatened the judge. Maybe, you know, things like that you, you, you can think about. And also, why are they using our tax dollars to send these people to New York, all over the place? Why can't they take them back where they came from? You know, why don't they pay those tax dollars to send them back? Why are they bringing them to the states, to all these other states? They, as in Texas? Texas, New York, you know, wherever they're they're sending them to why has anybody said anything about why they don't put that money towards taking them back 
Why well, are they spending money taking them everywhere else? The answer, Teresa, is during his <laughs> campaign for the White House, President Biden said he wanted this surge of migrants over the border. And that would be his policy. On his first day in office, he signed the orders to make this happen. The, the answer is he wants this to happen, and that's why it's playing out this way. Thanks, um, Teresa. That's, that's other opinions as well, but that's you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with some of that stuff. But you don't agree that that's what he said he wanted to do. <laughs> no, I don't agree with what they're doing. Okay, you know, busting them, flying them to other places. Yes. All right. I got you. Tax, tax dollars. Yeah, and that's being done on the state level. That's being done on the federal level. And as far as states like Texas. Uh, using our our tax dollars to send them elsewhere. I don't I don't think Texas can deport. That's supposed to be the federal government. So this was Texas's way of saying, if we can't send them back, we're gonna we're gonna make everybody else feel the pressure that we're under. Yeah, and also and how they treat everybody else when they're there. Like Co- they don't correct, care. correct. Just what and all you tax- encounter when you ask for this to come. This is what comes with it. So, well, that's some of my thoughts for that and how they're grinning and smiling, flipping people off like they know somebody, you know. Well, they just, they, they know that they just got away with doing that, at least exactly. to the extent that they're back out on the streets. Teresa, thank you. Have a good afternoon. We will work in more of your comments just ahead. 512-836-0590. And now back to the Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. New York City Mayor Eric Adams was also asked by local New York media uh, regarding these illegal immigrants who attacked the police officers. They asked the mayor, do you think in cases like this that New York City should change its sanctuary status and help deport people like this? And he said, uh, I mean, if someone commits a crime against a police officer and they're not here legally, it's definitely worth checking into. Listen, I agree about the police officer. How about just anybody? They commit a crime, which they do, as soon as they put their little pinky toe over the line the illegal way, they should be deported. Mm-hmm. Jonathan is with us at 415. It's Mark and Melinda on KLBJ. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome. Uh, Mark and Melinda, I, I, had to, I was holding my tongue earlier. I had to call because this just got me. What we're doing right now is this country has completely flipped from being a taxation and getting represented to a representation without taxation country. Let's fix it by doing this. Everybody who pays in property taxes or income taxes brings their tax form to vote. If you don't have any tax forms, you get your one stupid little vote. If you have your tax forms, you get a vote for every $5,000 you put into the stupid system that's messed up. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are probably honking their horn in support. <laughs> or, uh, now, yeah. on, an, uh, on another thing real quick, Nathan brought up a great thing. How do you defund a government that only believes in power and money or violence and money? Because all these people sugarcoated. What are we doing in Israel? What are we doing everywhere around the world? We're bullies. We get it. We're fine. 
Here's what we need to do. Quit being bullies to everybody. Defund it all. Guess what? You get your W-2 from your employer. You fill out nine dependents. Go to the border. Get some names from those people who are jumping the border. There's your nine dependents. Get all your money. Keep it at your house in your mattress. All right, Jonathan, thank you. Have a good afternoon. Maybe a different place than the mattress. That'll be obvious. (laughs) I did see uh, a CBS News survey a couple of days ago, and they were asking Americans, uh, are you paying too much in federal taxes? Are you paying too much in property taxes? And are you paying too much in state taxes? Mm -hmm. And it was well above 60% in each of those categories were saying yes I am paying too much in each of those categories. Yes, and then it went on to say that they found that their tax dollars were better spent on the local and state level and not on the federal level. They are not getting their money's worth out of the federal government. Yeah, it was really striking to see the numbers when it uh, comes to the category of property taxes. It was sky high, if I remember correctly. Wasn't it 70% or more? or upset about what they're paying in property taxes? Well, just the idea of property taxes (laughs) is something that I can see why people are mad. Because of the property tax, you never truly 100% own your home and land. So, yeah, I bet there are more than... If it's only 70, that would be surprising. Yeah, and again, as Melinda noted, uh, throughout this survey... It was really emphasized that the people answering these questions were also asked, are you getting your money's worth? And it was a resounding no No. on all levels, really. Federal, state, local. A little better. On the local local, level, yeah. yeah, But But overall, no. And when you look at the uh, huge amounts of money being spent on the federal level, and then all of the things that continue to be major problems, it's not surprising that people have that feeling right now. Well, I mean, you can't help but say, why am I sending money up there? Because I'm not seeing any benefit of it. It's only dwindling my own income or my family's income, and I'm not getting the benefit. The people that are getting the benefit are the ones that really aren't working Mm -hmm. because we're giving it to them on the social services side of everything. 512-836-0590. You can join us with your calls and your texts. The Statesman says it has an exclusive report this afternoon. The headline reads, in part, Austin Police Department says that higher-ups knew that there were dangers with those beanbag rounds that were used during the 2020 riots downtown. That's what this uh, report says. Have you had a chance to really look at this? It just came out. It's very long very detailed. I've just kind of skimmed over it. And one of the things that caught my attention was that it's being reported that the department might have had the information about defective, um, less lethal munition back in 2019. Um, and that it, it was told during training that they, that these were, were faulty it's reported that it was told to the higher ups, and uh, again, I've only been able to scheme, so I don't. I I take away from this that nothing was done since they were then used uh, during the 2020 riot takeover of 35. Well, this this could have a major bearing on the criminal cases. 
of officers who are still facing trial in connection with what happened in those riots. And that's been one of the arguments that they have used throughout all of this. We, we were doing our duty. We were ordered, go out there, use these. They say we were directed by our leadership. Don't blame us if the rounds were faulty. Well, and that was one of the things that was a point of contention when you had all of these officers that were charged, but you didn't have anybody um, that was calling for them to use this charge. The chief wasn't charged. Um, and that was one of the things, like, we were following orders like we were supposed to do. The person that gave the order wasn't charged on any of this. What was all known and who knew it? I think that's important, too. Yes. All right. You can weigh in on that one with your thoughts. 512-836-0590. Also in the news today, Melinda and I talk with you frequently about the really poor behavior in our public schools and the tremendous frustration it's creating among the teachers and how it's robbing the opportunity for other kids to learn in our public schools and how the kids who are really engaging in rotten behavior seem to be right back in the classroom very, very quickly without any significant consequences. Well, this story out of West Virginia says state lawmakers in West Virginia are now debating a bill that's focused on elementary school teachers, giving them more power to kick out the kids engaging in really bad behavior in elementary school. First off, it's really sad when you have to make a law just so the teachers can get some uh, structure in their class. Yes, Um, absolutely. But yes, this law would say not only could the teacher kick out the kid, that kid would not return unless the teacher consented to them being returned there. And then also it would require a meeting between the school and the child's guardian. Again, why does that have to be a law? Why isn't that already happening? And, and I know it's not, it's not just West Virginia. This mm. is probably in every school yes. across this nation. Yes, I, Based on the surveys I've seen from teachers, it's a national problem. And it's driving a lot of people to retire from teaching. And uh, you're not alone if you're asking, how did we get to this point that, that teachers have to wait for the government to pass a law so they can deal with a kid that's engaging in really terrible behavior? It's, it's sad. I, no wonder you've got teachers... And, and I truly believe, for the most part, teachers, they love being able to be a positive influence impact on these students. And they're leaving the profession. And it's not because, you know, it's not paying enough. It's because they've had to put up with this, not being able to take out the discipline problem so that they can focus on the ones that are really there to learn. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is elementary classes we're talking about here in West Virginia. Uh, one of my conclusions is this bad behavior is a symptom of the really bad parenting that's occurring in so many homes across America. These, these kids are in elementary school, and they don't respect the teacher. They're, they're, for decades, all that teacher had to do was look at a kid or raise their voice, and that would be the end of it. Yeah. I, 
It really is alarming when it said a recent survey of public school teachers said only about 5% of parents are highly involved in their students' academics. 5%. And we had a text earlier that said, you know, you can reach out to these parents and parents come and they just, my kids said they did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. End of story. There's Mm -hmm. not even a discussion to be had. Mm. All right. We'd like to hear your thoughts on this. 512-836-0590. Texas lawmakers were working on some kind of a proposal to restore more discipline in the classroom, but it failed. It ended up going nowhere. Nothing was passed. This is in West Virginia where they're debating this, and the state lawmakers opposed to this say one of our concerns is teachers will be too quick to boot a kid out of the classroom. They'll use this power too frequently, They should have a more nuanced approach to the kids and their bad behavior. My rebuttal to that is, is I think it would be really easy to tell if you've got a student, I mean, if you've got a teacher that is abusing this, that is continuously sending every kid out of class till they have no kids left in there. Mm -hmm. That's probably a teacher that's abusing this. I don't think as a whole that you're going to encounter that. Now, this version I have does not say what happens to this student after the teacher ejects them from the classroom. How, how long are they gone? What do they do? Is it still in that same elementary school, a different type of setting with supervision? I'd like to hear more about that. On, on where they go and what they do. And, and how long they're gone. I know we talked about they only get to come back when the teacher agrees and says, I approve, okay. He or she can come back at this point. Well, and it had some wording that a school discipline committee would determine the best option for the student. Who comprises the school discipline committee? Is that, I'm sure, someone in admin, someone that represents the teachers, someone that represents the kids? I mean, who mm-hmm. who's the committee? Who's it made up of? And what are their options? All right. We'd like to get your thoughts on this. 512-836-0590. It's Mark and Melinda, live and local, News Radio KLBJ. And now, back to The Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. Thank you for joining us. Tiger's here producing. It's 431 And Katie is weighing in on this proposal for a state law in West Virginia that would give elementary public school teachers the power to remove a student from class if the student is engaging in unruly, disruptive, or violent behavior. Katie, welcome. How are you this afternoon? I'm well. Thank you for asking. How are you? Doing very well. I understand you are a teacher, so you're on the front lines. Yes. I've been a teacher for 30 years, and uh, it's so different from when I started. And, um, yeah, the students who are coming in with behavior, it's definitely a problem. And so what schools are trying to do is they're trying to address it. We have to document the behavior, and we've got to document it for a long time because what they're trying to do is see if there's something wrong with the student. Is it, you know... um, are they emotionally disturbed? Is it, it's, is it some kind of disability? And so you have to document it for a long time, and those kids are still in your classroom, and they can throw a chair at you, and they can throw uh, whatever they want to you. They can hurt other kids. And so I just feel like 
teachers are, are leaving because, and then the parents, I know someone made a remark that the parents come and they say, well, not my child. And it, it does. It happens. It's the truth. And so I'm ready to retire. Um, I just don't, and there's also not enough support. There isn't enough support for someone to come in and, and help you with that child. You're expected to take care of it and document it. And, um, you know, it, it's bad, not just for me, but I see it for other teachers, too. Katie, when a child does act out and, and hurts another child or, or throws something, you, you're only, the only thing you can do is document, can you not kick them out for that, for no. even just the, to the tiniest bit of time? Like, hey, you need to go mm-hmm. cool off? You can call someone, and if there's, if there's enough personnel, and it depends, too, on the severity of the behavior, but even, you know, it has to be pretty bad for someone to come help you. And, um, and so they're, and they're not allowed to sit in the office. There really isn't anywhere to place them because they haven't been labeled yet. And so that's what, that's what schools are looking at. And that's why schools teach a lot of, um, social emotional learning because these kids aren't learning this at home. They're not learning how to regulate their emotions. So, um, we do a lot of that and, and, and talking to children and getting them to breathe and, how are you going to relax? But sometimes there's just so much trauma from what's going on at home or parents aren't um, showing them, you know, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And, and it's really hard on, on teachers. I, I see it so, so much. Double question for you. One, do you or would you like to see Texas enact some kind of law like this? And two, part of the West Virginia law says that the student would only be able to return with the teacher's consent um, what kind there of already is a law in Texas that says if there is a student who is disruptive in your room and is causing problems and and does not allow you to teach, you know, consistently, you can write a letter and you can say, I do not want this child in my classroom. He's disruptive. He's violent. And then what they'll do is they'll <clears throat> they'll read the letter. They'll review it, and uh, they may either place the child in someone else's classroom or they can return them you don't have a say okay and on the part about the teacher's consent if you had a child that was continuously oh. disrupting your class what would it take for you to consent to have that kid back in your room well i that child would have to have some behavior therapy would have to see a professional would have to have um some help and some support before uh, i could I would let them back in my classroom because it's just, it's really stressful and, and it's not fun to get hit. Those kids are strong. It hurts. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would, I would love for it to be able to say, and I can see where maybe they say some teachers would take advantage and would kick a, a kid out. But a lot of teachers, I mean, most teachers, they have a lot of patience. You know, you know how to work with a child. You know how to, to deescalate a situation. But sometimes it's just, it just doesn't happen. And um, so, yeah, I would like for them to allow teachers to have a voice in that um, because ultimately that's where they're going to return to that classroom. Katie, you described a process of documenting the behavior. How long does that process last? And is there a point at which the leadership of the school says you're right, that that child needs to be moved out of that classroom? Well, um, yes. Well, the thing is, you, you typically document for um, six to nine weeks, 
and you have other specialists come in and observe the child because you're trying to get a, a picture, not just the teacher's perspective. And then, um, then those people meet and they, you know, they may do some tests on the child. They have to talk to the parents and then they'll decide. So it's a long time. Nine weeks is a long time when you're trying to teach and someone's screaming or throwing themselves on the floor or throwing things or, you know, trying to run out of the classroom. Um, but like I said, what they're looking at is, okay, what is going on with this child? We're looking, they're looking for patterns. Do they need to be tested for something? What is their history? And if you move, if you're, you know, like a lot of our kids, they're very um, uh, transient. They move around a lot. So trying to get a history from another school, it just takes so much time. Kids don't stay in one school their whole life anymore. They move. And they, they go to three or four schools a year. Wow. Uh, meanwhile, the other kids in your class that are there to learn, you, wh- yes. what, what's I, the rules I for them? How do they act to this? Um, a lot of them, sometimes it's almost, it's sad. It seems like they're almost used to it, but then, um, usually I will talk to, I will talk to them and say like, this is happening. This is our classroom. You're safe. I have to keep you safe. These are some things that you can do if this is happening. Um, and so the kids are pretty resilient. Like they're, and, and they're also kind. They're very kind to those, to those kids. They have a lot of empathy for them. They know when someone is suffering. And I see those kids. They are suffering, the ones who are acting out. So it's just a balance. But I do feel like I lose a lot of my teaching time and that I don't get to um, really help the kids that, you know, because everybody's on a different level. I don't feel like I can further some of those kids that may be able to do a project, you know, with another because I'm constantly you know, having to be aware of what's going on and who's doing what. I'm only one person, and you have 22 kids in a classroom. It's tough. What would be the downside to you having someone on staff that when you have a child like this, they take them out and they do one-on-one and, and, and find out what is all that stuff that you're supposed to be documenting? You know, are they having emotional behaviors that they are assigned to do that while you are able to, to teach the rest of the kids? Oh, well, you have to have money for those people. You have to have someone that's going to fund it. And we do have counselors and we do have um, teachers that, that can do that, but they're taken up with all the other kids. So you don't just have that one person and you don't just have one kid. And <laughs> in a grade level, there's multiple children at all grade levels. And you would have to have one person for every grade. So that, that's, that's just not a, a reality. And I would imagine uh, there are some classes that you have, Katie, where you've had more than one student who falls into this category. Oh, oh definitely. I have multiple right now. And um, it's, it's, it's been tough. I have a lot of experience. And so I said I'm used to it, but I'm also don't, I just don't feel motivated anymore. And I just, it's hard. It's so hard. And it seems like it gets harder every year because I'm, I met with resistance from the parents. And and, so, and administration, my school, they're very supportive. They really are. They're trying to do the best they can with the no money <laughs> and no support. And, um, you know, Texas is having a really hard time retaining teachers right now. And, and it all has to do. And we live in Texas. We live in a property-rich 
school districts, so a lot of our money is taken away. You know, money that could be used for extra personnel. Mm -hmm. So until they fix that, you're not going to have the money to support teachers. And teachers don't make enough. You know, you're getting kicked and punched and screamed at, and then the parents are on top of you. It's just like you really do have to love what you're doing. And, <laughs> and you said you have multiple kids right now that fit into that category. Is it two, oh, three, four? Yeah. What? I have about five. It's, all, it's varying degrees. It's varying degrees of behaviors, and they, they do get support. And uh, But it's just really, really, really hard. Um, you know, when you're trying, because, you know, they, they go, they are on a scale, you know, it's like you have some that, that just cry or some that just are needy. And then you have the ones who get really, really mad. And so it, I wouldn't say that they're all violent. They're not. But I do have very, very challenging behaviors where, you know, I have been, you know, somebody spit on me the other day. And... And, you know, and I took that kid right to the office. It's like, no, I, I'm not going to do this. This is not going to happen. So I push back in my own way um, and say, this is not okay. This is not acceptable. So I do take take those kids and say, this is this is not going to happen. Good, good for you, Katie. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for that insight. Yes, thank you for your time. We appreciate that. Uh, a voice from the front line, who is living with this every day in a school right here in the Austin area. And listen, she's not wrong. They don't get paid enough. And their contract in no way says that they should have to stand by, be hit, be spit on, and and have to endure that day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And imagine if all five of them simultaneously are acting up. The challenge that she faces. A challenge there for the teachers, a challenge for the other kids that are in that classroom. We're doing such a disservice. Mm-hmm. We'd like to get your thoughts, weigh in, call or text at 512-836-0590. If you're just joining this, uh, the catalyst for this discussion is a story out of West Virginia where their state lawmakers are uh, discussing passing a law that will give elementary school teachers the power to remove students from class if they are unruly, disruptive, or violent. And uh, they're debating this right now in the state of West Virginia. So the, the inference is, I infer, that right now they don't have that power. The teacher does not have the power to say, you're out of here, you're too violent, you're too disruptive. They just have to tolerate it. Yeah, I... I think I read that they had passed it for the higher levels, like the the middle schools and the high schools, and they omitted uh, the elementary because they had some pushback, and now they're trying to come back in and add it in with the others. All right, 512-836-0590. It's Mark and Melinda, 443 News Radio, KLBJ. We always want to know what's on your mind. Text your comments or questions to the Smart Air Cooling and Heating text line at 512-836-0590. And now, back to The Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. very good to have you with us. Tiger's here producing, and we go to Mark in South Austin. Welcome, Mark. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you, now that I'm off of work. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, my son, he's, uh, he's 10 and, uh, we had the same issue with my son 
and I took them to counselors. I, we took them to doctors to get tested, see, you know, maybe there's something going on upstairs. They're like, we can't find anything. So they sent him to a nutritionist and uh, totally just changed his diet. My son's made a 180 degree improvement. Outstanding. I mean, my son, I mean, it's all about eating correctly, getting enough sleep, staying off the computer. I only let him be on the, on the internet for one hour a day when he's at home. That's it. Yeah, I've heard and, uh, of several instances. Just a change in diet can do wonders for the way that they act and their behavior. Oh, yeah. Lots of fruit. I mean, lots of natural stuff does wonders for him. He gets enough sleep now because before, well, we were feeding just junk food, you know, macaroni, just junk stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and keeping him up all night. Couldn't go to sleep. Now he sleeps well. Wow, that's outstanding. And I hope uh, other parents who are facing similar challenges hear that great message, Mark. And, and lo- I, I know it's expensive to eat the good stuff and, you know, eat well, but when it's children involved, you got to do it, man. Or are you going to continue to have this issue? Well, look at the value of the outcome here. You, your results are fabulous. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's been a year, and he's still doing good now. Excellent. Glad to hear that, Mark. Thank you for sharing that, sir. Have a good afternoon. Be safe. All right. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. 512-836-0590. Jim is with us at 447. Good afternoon, Jim. Welcome. Hey, good afternoon. Um, so yeah, I'm not a teacher, never have been, but uh, I'm an Uber driver. And so my comment is geared toward kind of what I've heard in conversations and have had conversations with teachers who have, you know, have been in my Uber vehicle. Yes. And, um, and so it's basically what I want to speak to is kind of what I've heard with what the teachers have been going through or are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a conversation with one teacher who is only in her third year of teaching. Uh, she, her first year was middle school, and now she's in her second year of teaching high school. And she was just so stressed and just said it's not anything like she thought it would be. The students are disrespectful and unruly. And she said this will probably be her, her last year of teaching. Maybe she's got one more year in her um, because she just doesn't know what else she's going to do. And then the other conversation, I, I didn't have a conversation with the teachers, but I over, overheard a conversation between two teachers where they were just commiserating about their students, and it sounded like um, maybe they were uh, teaching younger students with behavior issues. Mm-hmm. And um, the one teacher admitted to the other that she keeps, in her classroom, in her desk drawer, she keeps a an empty pill bottle, like a, one of those larger pill bottles, um, with with alcohol in it. And she she drinks alcohol in her classroom during the school day to to to, to get through to it, calm her nerves. Uh, yeah, not not to get through it. Not mm. good, but that oh, speaks please. to what they're having to yes. endure day in and day out. And in the case of the third year teacher. Think of what we as a society are losing there. There's a lot of education that went into that teaching degree, a lot of preparation, expenses, etc. She's probably very committed. She was gung-ho when she started, but now she's disillusioned. Yeah, she was, she was very saddened by it all. Uh, Jim, thank you, sir. You have a good afternoon. 
You got it. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's go to Nate in Pflugerville at 450 with Mark and Melinda. How are you, Nate? I'm doing good. How are y'all? Hey, Great. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm getting to the point where uh, hearing all this stuff with the whole classroom and students and this and that, and they're passing laws where they can, you know, trying to pass laws where they can kick a student out of the classroom. I remember, I'm only 21, so I remember whenever I was living in Louisiana, I was part of Jefferson Parish, and you act up, they'll sit you outside with a textbook and a notebook and tell you to uh, recap a whole chapter and uh, come in when you're done. But looking at how this society is now coming, where everyone's getting soft and they think they're really hard, this and that, and they start talking back to what's supposed to be their superior, and, and they don't understand that back in the day, if a student talked back to the teacher, mm-hmm. the teacher would pull out that whole long meter stick and swap them across the hand, and if they did it again, they'll get it again. Now, in my personal opinion, I think that factor of discipline in the school system should be able to be brought back, and it would help control because there's two ways to, you know, stay ahead. Either you strike fear or you have them respect you. And nowadays, no one has respect for anyone. So to build a better society for the future, it all starts in the classroom cliche thing to say but it does well uh you're right on many of those points uh, I, i'm gonna say i would take it a step further it starts at home and it should yeah. be you know in the classroom you see you see the work from home and you build on it yes and i 100 percent agree with it also starts at the house because you're at home before you go to school i have a one-year-old um and he he listens better than some of these 15-year-olds. And like, like you said, it goes from the start at the home to build for the classroom, to build for their life. Nate, thanks for weighing in. Have a good mm-hmm. afternoon, sir. You too. Thank Pr- you. Appreciate it. Thank you. 512-836-0590. He's describing a form of corporal punishment. Mm-hmm. We went away from corporal punishment for the most part, not entirely, but, I think uh, in Texas, you, the districts have the option, yes, right? And then yes. a lot of times if they do decide to have it on the table, parents have to sign permission slips for it to occur. My guess is uh, you can see a corresponding increase in the bad behavior relative to the end of the corporal punishment. If you were to create a chart, here's the end of corporal punishment for the most part. And then this the graph shows, yes, the bad behavior going up and up. It's not the only factor, but it's one of many. Uh, this is Billy in College Station at 453. Hey, Billy, how are you today? Hey, y'all. I, I, to let me say, I get off of work at Texas A&M, and I start my commute home, and the first thing I do is tune in. So I, I love listening to this show every day, and it's uh, it's just it's been a great episode so far. But I, uh, I just wanted to comment on, on the, you know, the children issue in the classrooms. Because I've spent a long time working uh, with juvenile delinquents and working in group homes. And, and one thing that you see is that younger and younger and younger, more heinous, more reprehensible, more villainous crimes from younger younger kids. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, back in the day, you have a kid that maybe you stole a Powerade from a 7-Eleven convenience store. You know, I worked with kids as 12 years old that were 
facing federal charges for trying to rob. Um, and so I, I think it all comes down to this idea of like when you have a society with no level of accountability, no uh, you're, you're, it, it just starts into chaos, you know. Yes, uh, you broke up a little bit there, but it, it sounds like you're saying uh, when you have society that does not have accountability, you're inviting chaos. Uh, how, yeah, the, the same thing with the officers. How, to do that and then flick off the media after. I know it's, it's kind of disconnected, but it's the same principle. When you don't have accountability at the base level of society to hold parents accountable, to hold young people accountable, anything and, and parents are going to think that their job and their responsibility is going to be given to the teachers and there's going to be an expectation for the teachers to raise their children and that is not at all part of their job description or responsibility so that's kind of what i think is at the the base of it all although there's a lot of legislative things you can talk about the base of it is is when you remove accountability it leads to enablement and it leads to uh a lot of heinous things that are going on in our schools so Billy, ha- yeah, you yes, bet. Yes, agree. Have a good one. Thank you for listening in College Station, 512-836-0590. The removable, removing accountability, and I will throw in respect there, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is just an extreme lack of respect for, well, for your seniors, or you always you should respect your elderly or your elders, but also just a respect for humans, your your neighbor, your anybody. There's just a res- it's a lack of respect for anyone besides whatever it is you're doing and, and mm-hmm. what you want to do. That's all that matters to a lot of people, and not just the young people. To a lot of people, and sadly these days, the elementary school teacher who called us at the start of this segment described one of her students spitting on her. Yeah. That is one of the ultimate acts of disrespect toward. An adult toward a teacher. I mean, and I don't, I don't recall if she told us what grade level she taught, but where did they, where did they learn that? That's not something I saw growing up. It would never be something that came first in mind if I was frustrated with somebody. Let me spit on them. Mm-hmm. All right, five one two eight three six zero five ninety. It's Mark and Melinda with you. We're live and local, and we continue right after the news update at the top of the hour from Fox and Rachel with all the top Austin stories on KLBJ.